Our text today comes from all over the Bible. We're considering the resurrection of Christ, but we're looking all through the Bible, focusing in Matthew chapter 27 as we begin thinking all about the things that happened for what Christ did. I was born in Connecticut, a little town called Sharon. Most of my relatives lived in that area. And so it was that my grandparents lived way up on top on the, of a mountain, right on the very top. And down the road, a couple of hundred yards or so, was a cemetery. They bought plots in that cemetery, were buried there, just down the road from their home. And for some reason, that became the preferred spot for Olsons to be buried. And so that cemetery is full of aunts and uncles and cousins who chose to be buried there. A lot of Olsons are buried in that cemetery. Back in Norway, across the ocean, is another cemetery where the family is buried by a little Lutheran church in a town called Grimstad. It's a beautiful cemetery, one of the nicest ones I ever saw. Every grave has a cement flower box attached to it so that each grave is like a little garden spot. In Jesus' day, Jerusalem was a favorite place for people to be buried. Joseph, who lived in a city called Arimathea, had uh, his burial spot in Jerusalem. And so all around Jerusalem in the little hills and valleys, there were private grave sites, usually tombs carved into the sides of the mountain rock. And it was a habit to carve out a, a a trunk, a hole in the front of the doorway, and they made a, a little trough, a trench, down in front of the door of the tomb. And they put this large round rock uphill, uh, pressed in place. And when it was time after the body was put in, they'd release it and it would roll down this trench and, and land in front of the tomb. And those rocks that were doors were very heavy weighing as much as a ton, not meant to be moved. But if you were to wander around the hillsides around Jerusalem, you could always pick out any tomb that was an actual burial spot because the Jews painted the stones all white. They used a whitewash to make the tombs stand out. And the reason for the whitewash was to keep people from touching the gravesite by accident. A tomb with a body buried in it was considered unclean. And it meant if you touched it, you were defiled and you had to make a sacrifice so that you could be clean again. Maybe you recall Jesus once talking to those Pharisees, called them a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Because they looked very nice on the outside, but inside they were corrupt, like a tomb, whitewashed on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. Now the Bible says, at the moment that Jesus died on the cross, four separate things happened that troubled 
and shook the Jews who had crucified Jesus. I'm in Matthew 27, begin reading at verse 50. When he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. So the veil of the temple down in Jerusalem was torn from the top to the bottom. That was a chilling message to the high priest who had just led the trial and conviction of Jesus. Secondly, an earthquake shook the whole area all over. And thirdly, rocks began to snap and break apart, not as part of the earthquake, but just to shatter. And those shattered pieces flew all over and lay all over the ground. And then the fourth thing he says that happened, those uh, carefully whitewashed tomb doors, those big one-ton rocks, fell over and the graves were exposed. Now, was it the earthquake that jarred them out of their place? Well, maybe, but those big old stones were pretty secure, not made to move. I think there was more to it than just an earthquake. Like the veil at the temple, the open tombs were a message from God to the people who had crucified his son. So today I would consider that fourth in the list of events, that is the opening of the graves all around Jerusalem and its significance. And what, what message was God giving to the Jews by opening these graves? I'm going to read a couple of passages of scripture for you. First from Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2, I'm looking at verses 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And then another passage from Ephesians 4, verse 8 and 9. Therefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it, but also he that descended first into the lower parts of the earth. It is said that when Jesus died, he first descended, he went down. He went down to a place called by the Jews Sheol, was the name they used for it, Sheol, which meant the place of the dead. Now Jesus explained in a story that he told about a beggar whose name was Lazarus, and that two people had died on the same day, a rich man who lived very well, and Lazarus, a beggar outside of the gate, who lived from the crumbs off the rich man's table. And it said that the dogs used to lick his sores. 
When they both died, they both died at the same time. The, Jesus tells in the story, the rich man went to hell. But Lazarus, the beggar, went to Father Abraham. And he was welcomed there and cared for. The rich man down in hell said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus here to me so that he can dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. And Abraham explained to the man, these places of the dead are surrounded by what we might call borders. He called it a great gulf. He said, we cannot come to you, and you cannot come to us. Now in Hebrews we read that the power of death was held by Satan. Therefore when people died, they went to Sheol, the place of the dead, and they were held there, unable to leave. But, it seems that occasionally, some people escaped that prison. Now, who were they, and how is it that they came to escape? First passage I read from you is out of Mark chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, seeth the tumult. And them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was coming, he said to them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but she sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the girl. Them that were with him entered in where the girl was lying. And he took her by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Cumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say to thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of twelve years of age. A twelve-year-old girl died. But Jesus came. And said to that dead girl lying in the room, Talithicumai, or in our language, rise and shine. And so she was an escapee. She got out of the place of the dead, freed by the words of Jesus. Now I look at Luke chapter 7, another one. Verse 12, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. Much people of the city were with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. A funeral procession coming out of the town of Nain is held up by Jesus. There's a young man, he's maybe 20 years old, lying on a stretcher. And Jesus steps up to the stretcher, puts his hand on it, says, I say, man, rise, get up. And the young man sat up when he was returned to his mother. A second escapee. From the place called Sheol, the place of the dead, called out of there by Jesus' words. 
Then there's another one, probably the most famous one, in John chapter 11, verse 43. And when he had thus spoken, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. Lazarus, arise, says Jesus. And the third escape be comes out as Lazarus, four days dead, leaves Sheol, the place of the dead, and comes back to life. Now Jesus gives an explanation of why he can do that. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So one by one, Jesus called out these people and they escaped the place of the dead. One by one, he called them out. Did anybody else ever escape there? Well, Moses and Elijah met with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration for a discussion with Jesus about the crucifixion. Two more escapees. So it seemed Jesus had the power to call him out if he chose to do so. One by one. Or even send for them, Moses and Elijah, if he needed their help, two at a time. But something different happened on that very first Easter morning. Now think about Jesus. He had been born in Bethlehem's manger in a human form. As a human, he lived like we do. He ate and he slept. And he walked and he talked and he did what we do. And he died. And like humans do, he went to the place where humans went after they died. He went to Sheol, the place of the dead. A prison if you will, where captives were held, unable to escape, and so they waited. It's true, a handful had escaped, but only a small number called out by Jesus, one by one, two by two. But now Jesus himself after he dies on the cross, enters into the place of the dead with a challenge as he arrives there. Do you think you can keep me here? (laughs) We sing it on Easter morning. Death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. You see, my friends, Jesus could call out for people to escape one by one. He could call for others even to do his bidding two at a time. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to set all the captives free. And so if he can go into the place of the dead and it can't hold him, then when he leaves, he will take away every captive with him all at once. Can you imagine the joy, the shouting, 
and the high praises of God and the calling out of those captives. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power and wisdom and strength. And then apparently, as he led them out, he made an offer. And what an offer it was. He said, to all you who have been held captive, we will be leaving here and going up to heaven, up to my father's house. There are special places prepared for you all there. But just to reinforce the message, I'm going to allow some of you to go back to the old hometown. We're going to stop for a little visit. And I have opened a whole lot of graves all around Jerusalem. So if you were buried there recently, and your grave now lies open, you can stop for a quick visit. (laughs) I'm going there myself, he said. I'm going there to claim my body which still lies in a grave. And I will give that body new life. And after I do that, you can come with me. So it was that Jesus went back to earth and slipped back into his body. Oh, I wish I could have seen that. Nobody saw it. It was in a sealed tomb. But can you imagine? Suddenly the heart started to beat. Suddenly the blood began to flow. The flesh started to warm. And the color returned. And the muscles contracted. And the lungs sucked in fresh air. And Jesus opened his eyes. He was alive. And that torn and mangled body was healed and restored. And remade. And he swung his feet over the side of the stone table and stood up. Removed the grave clothes and folded them neatly. And he disappeared right through the stone wall. And he shouted out to those who were waiting. It's your turn. Come on down. We have in Matthew 27, verse 52, the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Look, it's Uncle Joe. He's dead. He just walked by. Or mom, where'd you come from? Or a little child recently lost, suddenly running, burst in through the door. And 
everyone and everyone asks, where did you come from and how did you get here? There's only one answer. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it all. We can't stay. We just dropped in to say hello. Wow. No longer one by one or two by two. There's a multitude of them. Captives now set free are wandering around through the city of Jerusalem saying hello to their family and friends. Across the universe you can hear shouts ringing out, Freedom! Freedom! And the captives are set free. For centuries... The Jews had celebrated a special time called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, anyone who was a captive, anyone who was a slave, anyone who was a bond servant was to be set free. That's once in a lifetime, every 50 years, there would be a Jubilee. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus was the final jubilee when Jesus set all the captives free. And he did it by destroying the power of death, by going into death's prison and breaking out, smashing the place to pieces and leaving a gaping hole. And for the first time, the place of the dead had someone who had never committed sin so he couldn't be kept there. And so with no right to hold him, Jesus would go free, but he would not go empty-handed. For he had said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die and so the graves were open and the multitude of captives now set free used some of their freedom to stop off in Jerusalem and say a quick hello boy what a day that first Easter Sunday was wasn't it and all those captives were set free my friends I say to you today you do not have to be bound You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be limited by fear. Jesus rose from the dead to set you free. The jubilee is now. The captives are set free on this day. And Jesus is risen. And he is risen indeed. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for what you did, shattering the power of death, turning it on its ear, taking it over. We're grateful to you for what you did, for setting those people free. And we thank you that we too can be set free on this Easter Sunday. And we can know the freedom of God as it runs through our hearts, through our minds and sets us eternally and forever free. Thank you for the blessing it is that you rose from the dead. Help us to celebrate it and rejoice over it in this day with family and friends and with all that we do. May we find joy and pleasure 
in what this day represents. And never forget, this is the greatest day of all time when captives were set free. Thank you. We ask your blessing on us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Closing, if I could turn with you in page number page number 100, standing as we sing a final Easter hymn, Christ arose. <laughs> Page 100. possible for us and that is the greatest thing if we but believe that you have the power that you are the resurrection and the life that you can take us through not only in this world but through into the next world Lord and you have had a special place for us there created for us we are grateful that you have walked this path this lonely path up the mountainside Lord and that your hands and feet 
and sighed and your head were torn for us. And we thank you, Lord, especially that you had this great uh, resurrection, that you had victory and power over the grave, took away the sting of death. Lord, may we live in that knowledge and may that change who we are. We thank you for these things. We ask for your protection. All these people, put your hand on them as they go, celebrate the things that they do. Lord, watch over them. Bring them safely back to this place and protect our families and and all the, the people around us, we ask in your name.